Welcome to the Reclaim Your Rise podcast. My name is Lauren Bongiorno, a nationally board certified health coach and founder and CEO of Risely Health, where we help people and families impacted by type 1 diabetes take ownership over their lives so that they can transform with more freedom and confidence. Everyone has a different reason to be here. You might be seeking knowledge, support, or community, but at your core, I know that you long for something deeper. You're here for transformation. And that's what the Reclaim Your Rise podcast is all about. Instead of looking at the whole staircase, focus on one stair at a time. So maybe someone's listening to this and they're like, I want to have kids. My blood sugar is crazy and out of control. Like I feel so far from this lifestyle that you guys are talking about. But man, like that would be so cool. And we think our dreams and our where we want to go is so far. But really, it's actually so much closer than we even imagine. A quick reminder before we start the show that nothing you hear on the Reclaim Your Rise podcast should be a substitute for personalized professional medical advice. Please always consult your physician or other medical professional before making any changes to your diet, insulin dosages, or healthcare plan. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. So if you are an avid listener of Reclaim Your Rise, you may notice that the audio right now is not as crisp as it usually is. And that is because 30 minutes before recording with today's guest, my mic decided to stop miking. Um, And so we are going like raw audio with just the computer. It's not ideal, not my favorite. You guys know I'm all about the production and giving you guys like the best quality as possible, but we're rolling with it today. So I promise you today's episode is so great that it's going to compensate for just, you know, the audio quality. Um, But next week we will be back in action. I promise you, but let's introduce today's guest. So Brooklyn Powell is on the podcast today and she is here to tell her story about breaking limits in motherhood and pregnancy with type one diabetes. I've known Brooklyn since 2016. She was one of my one-on-one clients, like super, super, super early on when she was actually pregnant with her first child, Dax. And now seven years later, Brooklyn is a mom of four beautiful children and had a home birth with her now nine-month-old daughter, Oakley, in February of this year. And home births with type ones is not something that you hear a lot about or a lot of. So since February, I've been like, okay, when can I ask Brooklyn to come on the show? Like when is enough like postpartum time because I just know so many people are going to be interested in this topic. So in this episode, we talk about Brooklyn's three hospital birth experiences prior to having a home birth with Oakley, what led Brooklyn to feel confident enough to have a home birth as a type one, how involved the high-risk hospital teams were, and then motherhood things like her tips for energy and time management that allowed her to expand and grow over the last several years as an individual, as a wife, as a mother, um, how she balances conscious and intentional parenting and also self-care. This is going to be for you if you are interested in you know anything surrounding motherhood and pregnancy. Um, and I know that the topic of home versus hospital birth is something that everyone has a really strong opinion on. But what we do here is we hold non-judgmental space for all of our lived experiences and journeys as type ones. So look at this episode with curiosity and yeah, it's it's a great one. So without further ado, help me welcome my guest Brooklyn to the show. And let's rise. Brooklyn, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This took so long to like schedule and coordinate more so because you have 
four kids and I was just like, I, it has to be at the most convenient time for hers. And literally you have Oakley napping on your chest right now. And it's like distracting me because it's the sweetest thing. Um, <laughs> we're, we're making it work. As she's gotten older, it's gotten easier because I'm like, okay, I can count on her taking a nap at 10, around 10. Um, and so I texted you and she started napping more consistently. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. Like, let's do it. I wanted to do it. It's just hard in the newborn stage where you're like, is she going to be sleeping? Is she going to be crying? Is she going to be teething? And so it worked out perfect. Oh, 100%. I've literally been wanting to have you on the podcast since like February. and Which is right when I'm I had like, Oakley. Like Right, right when you had Oakley. So I, the whole time I'm like, all right, give her more space. Like, just give her space, give her space, give her space. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, like we need to make this happen. So this is going to be just like an incredible episode. And I'm so grateful for your time. So let's kick things off with the anchor question that I ask all the guests that come on the show, which is, can you share a story of a time that you reclaimed your rise with type 1 diabetes? I feel like that's like such a loaded question because like you're, so I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was 12 and now I'm 35, I think. Am I 35 or 36? I don't know. I, I'm 35. Um, that's a long time. And so I feel like you, there's been multiple times where I've had a rise with diabetes, like where I've overcame. And like, it, just to give you some moments, like specific moments, like thinking back to from the moment that I was diagnosed to now, I feel like a really defining moment right after I was diagnosed was when I, so I was diagnosed in the middle of sixth grade. So sixth grade, you still like, you have your parents involved, your teacher involved. Well, then you're going into seventh grade and it's kind of like, oh shoot, like I have all this independence, which most middle schoolers would be excited for. And in that moment, I was like, I don't want independence. Like I want my mom to be with me. And we had this first week of school, seventh grade, we had a sports day and it was after school hours. You go, you have pizza and soda and sports. And I, the night before I was in my room crying and I don't know the exact details because it was so long ago. And my mom walked in and she like walked me through this moment of like, Brooklyn, you're going to go. We're going to put in insulin for the pizza. You're going to eat the pizza. We're going to air on the high side so you don't go low and you're going to have so much fun. And she like kind of walked me through it and I went and I had fun. I think I even remember my blood sugar being like about 160 and just like having the best time. And it was so empowering because I was like, okay, I can do this and I am going to do this and I'm going to rise above this. I remember also like a little bit, a couple years later going to diabetes camp and being surrounded by a bunch of other type one diabetics and just feeling like, okay, I'm not alone. And then fast forward even more to when I had my first baby. So Dax, I had a really amazing pregnancy. The first 15 weeks of pregnancy, I did not have my pump. I was literally testing every hour because I wanted my, to make sure my blood sugars were in control and managed. Well, then I got on an insulin pump and it just was like, oh, this is a game changer or not a pump. Sorry. I'm talking about my CGM. So I, I've been on a pump for a long time, but my CGM, I didn't have the first 15 weeks that I was pregnant with Dax. And so just like overcoming that and realizing like I can have a healthy and amazing pregnancy. And I'm sure we'll probably get into this later on, but my delivery was a little bit rough. And so overcoming that and overcoming, I feel like the mom that I am today is so different from the mom when I had Dax. Like I've had to rise over so many things and not just related to diabetes, but obviously diabetes adds in a whole other level of intention and care. Um, so I probably, I could, I could keep going, but I hopefully that answered. Yes. No, it did. And it's, and I love how you gave specific examples of different stages of your journey and how you related to that question. Um, we're because we're focusing this episode specifically on motherhood and also 
I mean, to your point, like you've evolved in so many different ways. And, and I want to talk about that. And, and I'm curious, you brought it up yourself, but like, this is your fourth child that you've brought into this world, like this year. And how did yours and Oakley's birth story this round differ from the ones with Dax and Kai and Jet and really like who was part of your birth team throughout this pregnancy? And how did that, how did that look? So I, when I, when I found out I was pregnant with Dax, I was so excited, like on cloud nine, so excited. You, I wasn't even thinking about all the details of like, okay, who's my doctor and you know, how, what is this going to look like? I've always wanted to do at home natural birthing, but it was never, ever an option until Oakley, even with Jet, who's my second boy, I looked into birthing at a birthing center and she was like, I can manage some of your care, but you cannot deliver here. And I cannot like see you fully. You have to still go back and forth from the hospital. So it just, it, it, it just wasn't even an option. And so with, with Dax, I didn't have a great doctor. My labor and delivery was pretty, like I would say traumatic is a very accurate word. My labor was so long. My dad was like, they should have done a C-section. Like there's so many different things. Like I'm so grateful that Dax was born and healthy and amazing. But because of that, it, it affected my postpartum experience. I had postpartum depression. I had a hard time nursing. And so with my second, I was like, I'm, I, I want to set myself up for success. I need a better supportive team. Um, so I had a doula, one of my friends from high school, she was a doula and a lactation consultant. So she helped me birth my second boy naturally, no epidural. And I say that because an epidural, they've done some studies that show that it can make your milk supply come in later. And so I wanted no barriers to block like me being able to nurse. Like it was so important to me with Dax not being able to nurse him was a big part of my postpartum depression. And so with Jet, I was like, I'm going to do everything I can. Even with Dax, like a week or two before I gave birth to him, I was hand expressing colostrum. And in my head, I thought, oh, I'm making milk. Awesome. Like this isn't going to be an issue. Well, I had a lactation consultant that said, okay, I just want to, I don't want to set you up for failure. You are type one diabetic. You've had a breast reduction. You are probably not going to be able to 100% breastfeed. And I was just like, just get me out of this hospital. I just want to go home and cry. And so with Jet, I was way more, I had way more support and people that were aligned with what I wanted natural and my body to be able to do what it was made to do. And of course I knew that there was a possibility I wouldn't be able to, but I wanted to know that I did everything I could. And so I shoot my doula and lactation soul that was amazing. And I was able to nurse him until he was one years old, had a natural no epidural birth. And I just, it was really empowering with Kai. I had my doula on standby, but I was able still in the hospital, but still was able to just have him. It was, faster. My water broke at home. So I was actually like not half jet. I had to be induced. Um, and so I was able to just experience the whole thing. Well, then my sister in between Kai and Oakley, which is my third and fourth, I, my sister had a baby at home and me and her midwife got to talking when she's like contracting and getting ready to have a baby. And she, I, we just somehow got on the subject of like, are you going to have more? And I'm like, I would love to have a fourth. My husband, I'd have to do some convincing. Um, and she, we just started talking and she's like, you know, I would be, in, I would, I would be willing to like be your midwife and you could have your baby at home. And I was just like straight chills, like, let's go. Um, obviously it took some time to convince my husband to even, you know, consider that. And he didn't even really like, it just happened. Um, but now obviously we have her. Uh, so I was able to have her at home and it was just like the best experience. And so, I mean, you can see the difference between having my first and my fourth was completely different. And the way I've grown through all those like challenges and just growth opportunities and learning and just giving myself grace too. When I had Dax, like 
I, I could beat myself up for not like knowing what I know now and being able to, I think just with type one diabetes in general, you're, you're constantly having to give yourself grace. Um, and so I've learned that in motherhood too. No, absolutely. And so what do you think it was about your first three, th- first three pregnancies or really Dax's that like, it, was it the, the intimidation of like, you can't have, it was more like type ones do not really give, you know, have home births. And that's kind of like a no, no, or was it more so you just, you would have, you would have done it if you found the right team to support you through it. Like, what was it exactly? I think it's kind of like a mixture. Like it goes hand in hand, like talking back and forth. And so like, I have this um, instinct and desire to want to do it at home. And then I get connected with a midwife who's on board and believing in me being able to do that. And then it fills me with confidence of like, okay, maybe I can do this. And so I think it's like a give and take, but before up until having Oakley, it was never even an option. No Mm -hmm. one would even consider it. And so my midwife, she's just incredible. She's one of the best midwives in the world, like top 10. And so I felt very confident in her ability to, you know, tell me like, Hey, this is, this is a safe option for you. And I think, I believe she would have told me if she didn't believe that it was a safe option for me. And also for me to trust my instinct of like, my blood sugars are far, like they're, they're not perfect, but I am in control. I manage them. It's important to me. I feel better when they're in control. And so I don't even think that, uh, okay, let me rewind. I don't think an at home birth would be an option for someone that did not have control and manage their diabetes because they would not have that confidence of this is safe. Whereas I was filled with this like deep feeling of like, my body can do this. I've already done it three times. And the second two were, you know, pretty much on my own. And like, I can do this. And if we ever get to a point where my midwife and my care thinks that this is unsafe, we will go straight to the hospital. And so I felt very confident in in that my team and myself, my husband, Right. Well, and I was looking up stats yesterday. I know I was texting you because I was like, all right, what, like what percent of the people are having home births? And I did not realize it was this low, but the CDC reports that under 5%, I think it's even closer to like 2% of births are home births, which is like 50,000 a year, which is not, you know, anything um, in the US and the percent of type ones, I couldn't find any stats on that, but like, I imagine it is significantly lower and a very, very small fraction. Like you might have been Brooklyn, like one of maybe like five or 10 type ones this year to like give birth at, at home. So how did you, I guess, have that like conversation with, you know, John and your family and like, was it a conversation or was it more like a, I'm doing this, like get on board? I don't even think it was like up for discussion, but it also wasn't like, it's not up for discussion. It just never even came up of like, it, I think I just, because I was very confident in it, like when you're confident in something, it's like, okay, like this is what we're doing. Um, of course, like if John was, I think at first he was a, a little bit maybe hesitant, but we have a very, like, we communicate very well. And so we were able to just talk it out and talk about like the risk versus the, you know, benefits. And so he was, he was very much on board from the beginning. And he always knew that I wanted to do it with all, I would have done it with all my pregnancies if I had that option or at least been able to consider it. And so he was very on board. I would say the one person, I think my dad probably was the one person that was a little bit more like, but even not just because I'm type one diabetic, he was nervous for my sister too, to have her babies at home. And so I think it's just like a, a dad, like just wanting to protect his babies. And he used to be a nurse. And so I think that sometimes that's ingrained in you a little bit of like, you need this like, you know, the hospital setting. Um, there's a really good book. It's Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. And it's filled with a whole bunch of stories of like women birthing at home and are like, 
ability to do that. And like, that's what we were made to do. And I would suggest like anybody wanting to do an at-home birth to like read it because it's very empowering. And then also like giving you that confidence to be able to explain to people like why you're doing it and what the benefits are. There's a lot. I, oh, she's never, ever been in a hospital. And so like ever, she has not had one baby wellness check. She's, I mean, she's just healthy. Like, and I am a very big advocate to like showing people like, yes, I'm thankful for hospitals. I'm thankful for doctors. I'm thankful for insulin. Like, you know, like, of course I'm thankful for these things, but like if our babies are healthy and strong and we're healthy and strong, like they are there, like when we need them, we don't need to be going in obviously like with diabetes care. Um, but I've even had, and I feel like that's why you exist and Risley exists is because I would go to the doctor and they wouldn't even, I, it would be pointless. I would be like, I'm going in just to get my prescriptions filled. And so there's this like lack of, they don't, they're not, they're not living it. They're not knowing like our day to day. And it's so hard to go in and in a 30 minute appointment, explain to them. Um, and so I had a very hard time, like having a doctor connect with me about diabetes. And so I feel like what you're doing is just incredible because it's needed, but it's needed in the right way. If that makes sense. Well, thank you so much. And I think you articulated that so well. I mean, I even just think the I obviously am not I mean, a mother and have not went through pregnancy yet, but the, my last OBGYN appointment, even just like the language they were using when we were like, I just like brought up like, yeah, like, you know, soon, like it's not so far away anymore, like the idea of having kids. And she was like, well, your A1C, um, you know, really between now and then like really it's like, you cannot go in the high risk, like really keep it under the high risk category. And I was like, oh, that's like 6.0, right? And she's like, yeah, because if you start crawling up, cause I think my A1C, the last one was like 5.8. She's like, the second you get to six, you kind of lose your momentum and then it just goes the other way. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm like, also like, that's not just like encouraging language to use of like somebody who's embarking on this journey that like, hey, like, don't let, don't lose the control you have now because the second you do, it's all gonna slip. Like it was just, it's not very passionate. Yeah, it's like instilling this fear and anxiety around it. And yeah, I just don't think it's, I think that there needs to be a lot of education in that field. Yeah, and there's, and they don't have time, right? But I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are listening to this right now, 100% who are like, that is crazy. I am like, never have a home birth. And I just want to encourage everybody to listen that like, you can think like that. And that's okay. Like the point of this podcast is for Brooklyn to come on and like inspire people who are thinking about like, hey, like, I wonder if that's possible for me and are interested in this more like, um, I guess, like holistic route of, of, of childbirth. And, um, you know, when you talk about the, 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 the benefits and what you experienced, like what was her birth like for you compared to, I guess, the previous ones? Oh, her birth was like just so, um, birth is just hard. Like you have to go through it. And literally after you have your baby, it's the best feeling in the world. Like I would go through birth again, just to have that feeling of like, I am holding my baby. I did it. I feel so empowered. And it was actually very fast. I labored alone from about eight to maybe 10 in the bathroom, lights off, like completely black, no one around, just breathing through it on this ball that I'm on now. I was like, I need to make sure I'm not bouncing through this whole podcast. Um, <laughs> around 10, my husband was like, hey, do you need me? And I was like, yes. So he came in on a chair and from, I don't even know the timeline anymore. I don't even know what time she was born. <laughs> um, fourth baby for you. Uh, but he came in for probably an hour. It was me and him and just him just being there, not even like 
pushing on my hips or anything. It was literally, and I experienced the same thing with my boys in the hospital. I got to a place, I had this whole playlist with Jet that I was, my mom turned it on and I was like, turn that off. Like I, for some reason, every woman's different. But for me, I had to just go into the zone and I had to just breathe through each contraction. My doula actually said like, it's like blowing out uh, the candles on a birthday cake. And each one is getting you closer to like holding your baby. And so for me personally, I just had to go into the zone. So I actually did that in the hospital. And I actually with Jet and Kai had really great hospital experiences. Um, Dax, my first was the only one that I would have said like that was not what I would hope for any mom. But Jet and Kai, I had amazing nurses. I had my doula with Jet, my second. Um, I had an amazing nurse with Kai. And so I had really amazing experiences. Jet, I was induced. My second, I was induced with Pitocin. Kai, my water broke, but they still put a little bit of Pitocin. So what I loved about being home is like, I didn't even, that wasn't even an option. It was literally like, okay, body, do your thing. You know, I get chills even like just talking about it because your body like knows what to do. And so, yes, it's hard and yes, it's like challenging, but it's like also so there's no other experience like it on earth. Mm. And like to be able to bring your baby earth side through your breath and your like, I'm a very like, mm, like I, I made a lot of like noises with my like voice. And I still do that when she's upset or not calm. Like I'll go, mm, you know, like you're, it's just very calming. And so it's just you realize what you're capable of. And to bring your baby into the world without any intervention, without any anyone like coming in, bright lights, like lots of noise, like it's just so peaceful. And I got out of the tub, went right to my bed, got to, my sister made me like bone broth and I was able to sip on that. They did her weight. We took her bl uh, blood sugar for a couple hours after birth and we fell asleep and woke up to my boys crawling in bed with us. It was so peaceful. I guess that's the best word I can describe it. It was just peaceful. And again, I'll reiterate my birth with my second and third was, was great for a hospital experience, uncomparable. Um, so, but I, I also think that like, if someone was like at home birth is not for me, but I want to have a peaceful experience. It's like, you can create that in the hospital. If you feel safer in the hospital or in a birthing center and you're type one diabetic, like bring the diffuser, ask for like as little people to come in as possible. Keep the lights low. Don't have a ton of people with Dax. I had a photographer. I had my mom. I had my dad. I had John. I had his parents. I had not even the doctor. They had a whole doctor in their team. They had, um, like training, training, they were training like doctors, who were, people who wanted to become doctors. And so the room was full of people. And if you read, you learn like bright lights, lots of people can make your body shut down in having birth. And my labor with Dax was so long. And so I think just like learning those things beforehand, like you can create an atmosphere, whether you're at home or in the hospital, you can create the atmosphere that you want. I, now that I've had her at home, I was like, I will never, I, I'm a huge advocate for like home births. Like it was just so, so special. So let's, let's take it back to, let's meet the people listening where they are, where they might not be like home birth, like I'm down for that. Like, let's start with the, okay, I want a experience at the hospital giving birth. That isn't exactly what you described. How would you, like, how did they, how do you create that atmosphere? I mean, I get the bringing the music and the diffusers, but in terms of the people and the lights and everything, like, was it just that you didn't know what to ask for? Like, can you advocate for certain things or like, would you have had like a doula or a, um, somebody with you to advocate? Like, what would you recommend? I, I think a doula is of utmost importance. Someone who can advocate for you when you're focused on birthing. 
Um, a doula is huge and she knows what you want and she can support you in that. Um, having a lactation consultant lined up afterward if breastfeeding is important to you, I think that's huge. Um, telling your doctor what you want, obviously, like you can go with the plan. The plan could get tossed out the window. So you have to be flexible with that, but at least being aware of what you want, like if you want the lights dimmed low and working with finding a doctor that you like love and truthfully, None of my doctors that I had with either any of my boys, none of them delivered me. It was always someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I did love my doctor with Jet and Kai. Even though she didn't deliver me, I loved my care before that. And I still had amazing care in the hospital when I had them. And so I think it makes a difference um, who's, who's delivering your baby and what their beliefs are and what they're, you know, advocating for. Because um, there are different doctors who, you know, some of them are like, okay, I mean, skin to skin after birth is so important. And some hospitals really support that and some not so much. And with my first baby, I was at a high risk unit at a really well-known hospital. And my care was just like, not even subpar, I would say. Um, My lactation consultant was, I want to say like awful. Like she, I left that hospital with so much doubt in myself. And and she instilled that in me, yet I was able to nurse my second until he weaned himself at one, my third until he was two and a half, and now Oakley until she's already eight, nine months. And so, man, I'm like, what if I had a lactation consultant that breathed life into me and walked through this with me or got me connected with someone that could go home with me and teach me how to do this? Like, how different would my postpartum with my first have been? And so... Well, it sounds like, too, that, like, you were kind of just, like, thrown into this, like, like most type ones, oh, you have to go into with a high risk. It's like kind of your endocrinologist is just passing you off to the next person. And you would think that like high risk, you would be like, like I'm assuming I'm associating high risk with like high, you know, like all, all the bells and whistles, but it doesn't sound like it's like that. It sounds like it's like panicky environment. Well, yeah, it kind of is. I mean, you're ta- you're doing a non-stress test and all these other things that I didn't have to do with Oakley. Um, but again, like I had this confidence in myself, um, that I manage my blood sugars. Well, I'm very healthy. I'm very into health and wellness and fueling my body. And I fill it with foods that are going to like optimize like anything I experience, whether I'm exercising or just going about my day or giving birth to a baby, like everything is like hand in hand. And so I feel like you have to focus on like the root causes too before you're just like, you can't just go, I'm going to have a baby at home. Like, right. You have to make sure that you're healthy and strong, your mindset, your confidence, you have a great team around you. And so I I feel like I'm trailing off now. I don't even know what question you asked me. No, that, that all, all that is so important to add. When, when you had the midwife and the doula, you had both of those, right? At, for Oakley? Well, it's just a midwife. I could have also had a doula, but my midwife was just amazing. in the fact that I didn't, she has an assistant and I just felt very, and I already, this is my fourth baby. So I was like, I didn't need to do a with my third. I was like, I can do this. Like I, you know, I just, I had the support I needed. Yeah. You knew how it was going to go. So for the midwife questions, did she ever, were you her first type one that she like walked through a pregnancy with? Do you know? I honestly, I think maybe she had one more before me, but that might not be right. I'm not actually a hundred percent sure. Um, mm. I, I probably should have asked her that, but I just, <laughs> in my head, I knew that she was the most amazing midwife and she was willing to do it. And so mm. with those two things, I, I guess I didn't need to know if she had ever done it before. I was like, I'll be the first. Um, I was very confident in it. And I was also very confident in the fact that if there was an issue, she would catch it and we would, you know, be on our way and be in the same situation I would have been, you know, before. And I, I, I just wonder, like, because she, Oakley was five days past her due date. 
So she was 40 weeks and five days, which your due date is just an estimate. Like, I mean, they, indu they, they made me deliver. Well, they wanted to deliver Dax early at 38 weeks. And I asked them if I could go longer. So I actually delivered Dax at 40 weeks. And they wanted me to deliver at 48, 38 weeks. And he was only seven pounds. Like he was, and my body was not ready to have him. And so there's that. And then I had Jet, 39 weeks. He was measuring a little bit bigger. And so I had him at 39 weeks. And I was okay with being induced because I, I mean, I guess I say okay with it because I didn't really know there was no other option. Like he was measuring bigger. I was like, okay. And all things were weighing, weighing our risk and our, you know, our risk, pros and cons. And so I was like, I, I'm, I'm going to be induced. And then with Kai, my water broke with her. She was just measuring like perfectly. And so we are monitoring her weight. We were monitoring my kicks and all the things. And I actually like a couple days before I had her, I had someone come to my house and do a ultrasound and she looked amazing. And so I, yeah, I just, yeah, I, it just, I felt very confident in what I was doing. I'm curious, how many ultrasounds did you have like throughout the entire pregnancy or like how many, any kind of like, let's see how the baby is doing or what, like, was it mostly just like, I am going to listen to my body? I no, I had some ultrasounds. I probably had, I could count them on probably two hands, less than that, probably one hand. And then I did mm -hmm. um, like the heart rate monitor um, just when I would go in for my appointments, but very little, very little outside monitoring. Um, I just felt like I did the bare, the, what I, what was necessary. Um, and based on what my midwife suggested. And then when the plan, the backup plan, so the plan is like, okay, we're having Oakley here at home. If anything at any point goes wrong, we're going to go to the hospital. Was there a plan in place of like a doctor that you spoke to there? Or was it just like, we're just going to go to the doctor I and mean, we're going to the hospital? Yeah. So before I had her, I went and saw an actual OB doctor, like a high risk OB. I think she was high risk. Um, an OB doctor who did like my, my physical and did an ultrasound and all of that and gave me the okay to do an at-home birth. So we did have a doctor involved. And so, um, and she was available. I honestly had Oakley so fast. Um, my midwife wasn't even there. So John came in. I, we never even finished the story. John came in, was with me. And I was just like, babe, you need to call the midwife, like see where Lindsay is. And so he called her and she's like, how are the contractions? And he was like, they are this many minutes apart. She's like, okay, call me when they're five minutes apart. And he, I was like, I had already thought that he told her like to be on your way. Well, he did it. He just basically, he's like, okay, like going off of what she was saying. Whereas we, we know our bodies. I've had four babies. And so finally I, I messaged him and I'm like, babe, something's different. I, I told him not message him, babe, something's different how far is she? And in his head, he's like, I haven't even messaged her yet. I mean, I messaged her, but I didn't even tell her to be on her way. I just was keeping her posted. And so he calls her and he's like, you need to get here now. I, I held Oakley in because I did not want to have her without Lindsay being here. Oh. And so I just, I, she came fast. And so, but we did have a doctor on standby in case we needed her to come to the house. Um, but I feel like I, I almost had her without anybody there. I always had her with just me and John there and my mom and sister. So, I mean, that would have been a story. Oh my gosh. I heard that story, I heard that story recently from a friend that I know. Um, she had a home birth as well and she literally had the baby like before the water pool was filled and before any kind of midwife doula situation was there. And so it was just, it, yeah, it happens and it happens fast, but oh man. So, okay. You share this on Instagram. Oh, were you going to add something? I, I Go ahead. Ask your question. I think that um, it might have something to do with what I was talking about already. <laughs> so it'll probably just flow naturally. 
Okay. So you share this beautiful, beautiful video on Instagram of you literally giving birth to Oakley, like in the pool with the lights off. It is just like so primal. So I was like cheering you on. I was like, go Brooklyn. I'm so proud of you because I know I've known you for so long. And just to see like you have three kids and then this fourth kid, like I, I hadn't even talked to you about it, but like, I felt like this was probably what she like so wanted to have to happen. Like, did you get, what kind of like feedback did you get? Like were people, was there any type of criticism at all? Or was it like, whether it was from like people in your real life or people on social media, just out of curiosity, because I feel like it is such a divisive topic. I probably, before I speak, I should go back on my reels and look because I'm sure there's comments on there that are nasty. Um, but I, I don't really like feed into any of that. Like I just, I could post the most like wholesome reel or video and there'd be people that talk, talking smack on it. So I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you if there's people on those posts of me giving birth, if they are talking smack on me, um, just cause I don't even entertain it. But outside of that, I haven't had any pushback, any criticism. Most of the time it's met with just like, Oh my gosh, wow. Like tell me more about it because Truthfully, I mean, you said the statistic, like not even like people without diabetes are giving, like doing home births. I think it's becoming more and more common. Like people are advocating for it more and sharing more stories, but I, I don't think most people even consider it. And so I feel like even when I'm just talking about it, even the normal person, non-type one diabetic, they're like, wait, what? Tell me more. Like you had her in your tub. And I'm like, yeah, like, and I, even like, um, comments like that or criticism, I don't ever take it personal. I am very mm -hmm. much like, wow, what a cool opportunity for me to like share my knowledge and understanding. And maybe obviously some people are just there to be divisive and to talk smack. They don't want to, they're not even there really to like have an open mind or learn. Right. And that's just, that's just some people in the world. But if someone is on my page and following me and inspired by me and they're like, criticizing or asking questions like this is a perfect opportunity to do what I'm here to do is to raise awareness and understanding and knowledge of like one what's possible but two like what our bodies were made to do like this is how God made our bodies and like when you I always like I love animals and so like when you're watching an animal give birth it's like they just do it and they do it so gracefully and so it's like man like the, why don't we as humans take that and like I mean we were designed to have babies and multiply and so like why can't we take that and like believe in that ability to do that and like when you give birth at home like you are doing that it is you and your baby and you're bringing your baby earthside and then as soon as you're done you crawl in bed and you fall asleep and it's just like the most like there's there's nothing in between there's no goop on their eyes there's no shots like being thrown at you there's no um taking the baby there's no I didn't give Oakley a bath until she was probably a month old just letting her like soak wow. in that aftermath of just like you know I, I probably could have done it even sooner maybe two weeks but definitely not two or three days after you have a baby like think of our water like how many like chemicals and you know toxins are in our water and like then you're gonna put your baby in the bath right after you have them like no like so I just I do things it's probably an unpopular opinion but like I am very like you know let God design babies perfectly and humans, like our bodies are made to fight off illness and fight off sickness and to grow. And when you put babies in that environment and not put all these other things on them, it's like, man, what, what are they going to like, what is their health going to be like? What is their strength going to be like? And so I'm like, I'm a big advocate on like, just no vaccines. I'm a big, big advocate on, you know, if your child is sick and they have a fever, like not just filling them with Motrin or, you know, 
putting a band-aid on it. Like, I'm very uh, passionate about, like, sharing, like, you can just let them, like, be. Put up, send them outside in the sunshine, dirt in the, like, feet in the dirt, and just letting them learn, letting them fall, letting them make mistakes. And I feel like that is just, like, it kind of goes hand in hand. Like, I look at us as humans, like, we all have this bucket in us, like, this toxicity bucket. Everyone's is different sizes. And so you start feeling that with our air quality, our water, our food, our, you know, just antibiotics, vaccines, like all these things. And then people's buckets, depending on how big they are, they start to overspill. And it's like, then you see endocrine disruption and you see asthma, headaches, like all these different things. And you're just like, why, why are, why are we all suffering with all this stuff? And some of it's out of our control, but there's a lot we can control. And so when you kind of take that control and that power back in, you feel very empowered of like, you know, I'm, I look at my grandma and grandpa and I'm like, I, when I'm that old, I want to be like healthy and strong, even despite type 1 diabetes. I want to be traveling. I want to be like doing more than the average person even. Like a lot of people think they feel good, but if they really felt good, they would realize like, wait, I, I never felt good. I thought I did. Um, being tired and exhausted is it's very common, so it feels normal, but it's not normal to be tired and exhausted. Like when you, I mean, you, you know, when you get your health in control, when you get your blood sugars in control, um, when you fuel your body, when you exercise, like you feel better, you show up different. You, you probably are going to do things different in the world than you would have done prior. So, so like, yes to everything. And I think to your last point, it's, a lot of people think that it like has to be this, like to feel better. It has, there has to be something wrong, right? Like I need to get my like blood levels of like my iron or my, this, it must be like a vitamin deficiency. And like in some cases, you know, it's things like that, but most of the times for most people that stress and that energy drain and the like headaches and all of that really stems down to the basics. Like, did you get outside today? Like how much time are you spending on your phone? blood sugars, like as a type one, like just baseline, you know, that is where it's at is your blood sugars. Like, are you eating properly? Like all of those holistic areas are really what we have to check in with first because we like to convince ourselves like, oh, it can't just be that. Like it has to be something else. And I think oftentimes that can get us, you know, when we focus on those a lot further than we think it, than we think it could get us. So, you know, you mentioned, um, that, um, you mentioned, you know, Instagram and kind of like that being an outlet, I think for a lot of how you share your motherhood and your beliefs and your ideas and also all your pregnancies. And, um, it's so inspiring. And on one of the posts you put, uh, with Oakley's birth story, you had said I was five days past my due date and finally got to a point as a type one diabetic that I was ready for her to be in my arms. And I'm curious, like, what were you experienced leading up to that point of like diabetes wise? I wasn't really experiencing anything different per se, but you know, in all things, we're raising our, you're, we're, we're weighing our risk, you know, like even getting in a car, it's risky to get into a car. Um, mm -hmm. but we wear our seatbelt and you know, we, we still get in the car and drive because we're like, okay, what's the risk of getting in? What do I need to do? Why am I getting in the car? Um, and so with her, I just got to this point where I'm like, okay, I'm five days past my due date. I am, I'm not going to, you know, dismiss the fact that I'm type one diabetic. And I'm like, yes, although I would love to have her natural and no, not even like holistic intervention. Like I would love to just have her. Um, it got to a point where I was just like, it's not worth the risk of, you know, leaving her in until she does that on her own. I knew she was a good size to come. I had my midwife in involved. So that morning I 
had um, castor oil. I did castor oil with, it was like a bomb recipe with ice cream and orange juice and you made like a little drink and you drank it. And it started contractions, but I don't think I had enough. My mom, would, we couldn't find a good um, digest or ingestible castor oil. So she got the pills and was squeezing them. And we had to have like a certain amount. And so I'm like, mom, I don't think that's enough, but whatever. And so I took that. And then the contractions started, but it never fully put me into labor. And so around 4 p.m., my midwife came and broke my water. And from that point on, my by 8 p.m., I was in active labor, um, you know, 7 p.m. I had like minor contractions and then by I don't even know what time she was born 12 maybe midnight around midnight one maybe two I don't know um, it was very fast um I had her and so I just got to this point where I was like I, I I'm, I'm I'm ready to have her here like I just was listening to my gut my instinct and weighing my risk and I was just like it's not worth the risk anymore you know like before there I was like there I didn't see the risk being high I was just like, my blood sugars are managed. She's, I'm tracking. I just had an ultrasound. I feel her kicks. And then it got to a point where I was like, even with all that stuff, like I'm just, I want her in my arms. Um, yeah. So it's just like trusting. I think it really comes down to like my, my innate and instinct. And like, we all have that. You know, some of us, some of us are just more in tune to it than others. And I think that comes down to like the root causes of things. Like, are you, you know, like just what we were talking about earlier, like how much are you on your phone? Are you getting back to like, are you grounding? Are you reading? Are you like having silence? Are you fueling your body? Like, I feel like all those things affect like our instinct and our ability to think clearly. Yeah. Well, a few themes that I'm taking out from this conversation is, you know, number one, you had three pregnancies, you knew what you liked about them, what you didn't. And also you had confidence in your ability to, you know, birth a healthy baby, not that like a healthy baby means the second one, something's not going to happen, but like you felt confident enough. And so you were like this like strong pole that like couldn't be moved by anything. So going into that, that I think allowed you to feel confident having Oakley at home. That's number one. The second message and like takeaway that I'm hearing is that I think there's this thought that like if somebody, if a mother's having a home birth and elects for that, they're just you know, not thinking at all about the risks, right? It's like, are you even thinking about the risks? Like you just, you know, you're just doing this and you're blindly going into it. And I don't think that's the case. I think that you are exactly what you just articulated. You were aware of the risks, you were aware of the pros. And if it got to at any point feel like it was not unsafe, like, of course, you're going to go to the hospital and like intervene. But like you felt up until a certain point that like, you know, I feel good about this. Yes, 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 exactly. And then the third piece um, that I have for like a takeaway is just how much I think you, how much of a family person you are and how much like motherhood is such a, you know, part of your identity and something that like you lead with. And we mentioned before that like we've known each other for a while, Brooklyn and I, you, we met in like, I think it was like 2016, which is wild. That's like, I was pregnant with Dax, right? Yeah, you were pregnant with Jax, exactly. And so we did one on one coaching. You were like back, you know, back in the early days. I don't know, you know, I think I was a hot mess. Was I a hot mess? I think I was. No, you weren't you were in a hot mess, but like you were just in such a different stage of life. Like you guys didn't have the house that you guys built, you and John. You were, yeah, having your first pregnancy. You were just getting into like plant-based eating or like, you know, just being focused on nutrition and all that and trying to balance everything. So you've evolved a lot. And I'm curious, like, how have you grown as a person and a mom and a wife, you know, in that time? Oh my gosh. I'm like a different person. Like, I feel like if you would have asked me to do a podcast back then, I probably could have done it, but I don't know how much like 
value I would have been able to add to people. Motherhood like has grown me in the most amazing ways. Motherhood, I started a business at home and I feel like that's really grown me. It's like had me focus on others and serving others. It would be really easy for me to stay at home and just be focused on being a mom. Like I absolutely love being a mom. My husband has a great job, um, but I got introduced to like an opportunity that I could work from home and it's pushed me out of that comfort zone, out of that laziness of, you know, not saying that, you know, I just have an, I have a, uh, my weakness is like, Probably, I would say laziness, although a lot of people would say, like, Brooklyn, that's not true. Um, it's just really good for me to have a purpose outside of motherhood. Um, and figuring out how to balance all that has been really, like, good for me. It's challenged me and grown me. I love that I get to show my boys, like, what it looks like to do something that you absolutely love. Like, I, you see when you go to work and when you work, you love what you do. And I feel like so many people, they don't love what they do. So I love that I get to instill that in my boys. Yeah, I, I just... I've grown so much. I can't even say that I'm even close to the same person. I feel like my husband has completely changed. And I think that is part of like going on this journey of evolving and changing and growing is you have to be okay with the ups and the downs and you have to just, your mindset is your most powerful tool because your mind is going to tell you like you're not good enough, that you're never going to be able to accomplish whatever that dream is, or you're never going to be, I feel like so many moms are at home are like, I'm the worst mom ever. And so your mindset, if you can learn to talk over that mindset, like your potential and what you can accomplish in this world is so great. And if we all just acknowledge we're all struggling, you know what I mean? Like we all have doubts. We all like, and we all struggle with imposter syndrome. And in order to get through that, you have to just remind yourself like, okay, just because I'm feeling this doesn't mean it's true. Just because I feel like I'm, I was a bad mom today does not mean I'm, it's, it doesn't mean it's true. And so I think if we can learn to overcome those doubts and fears and limiting beliefs, and I think it's really also hard because we get overwhelmed. Um, and so if we can just, instead of looking at the whole staircase, focus on one stair at a time. So maybe someone's listening to this and they're like, I want to have kids. My blood sugar is crazy and out of control. Like I feel so far from this lifestyle that you guys are talking about. But man, like that would be so cool. And we think our dreams and our where we want to go is so far. But really, it's actually so much closer than we even imagine. And so if we just stopped looking at the whole staircase and looked at that first step, okay, what do I need to do? Like your journals. Okay, maybe I get this journal and I start filling it out one page a day. And I change, I love in the beginning of the journal, it says like, um, it has different tips for like your mind, your body. What, what's the third one? Mind, body. Uh, body, soul. Yeah. And so it gives you like a list of things that you could choose. And I like suggest like do one thing. What's one thing this week that you can change to get yourself on the path to where you want to go and just keep reminding yourself like I'm not in this alone. There's so many out people out there that are feeling overwhelmed, lonely, maybe like they're not where they want to be. Like, what do I need to do to move my like foot up that first step? And then once you do that first step, you're like, okay, what's the next thing I can do? And so you establish these habits and good habits are just as addictive as bad habits. And they're so much more rewarding. Mm -hmm. And so I suggest like starting so small and maybe it's with like, I'm, I'm big on like a morning routine. Like if you have a morning routine that you love, that'll set your whole day up for success. Whether you habit stack or time block or whatever it is. Like I remember on our conversation, our one-on-one coaching call, like, do you remember this? Like I was like struggling even getting the dishwasher unloaded. Like I was in such a different, like, yeah, that's why, wait, I have to interrupt you. That's why Brooklyn, like, I'm so like, I was so happy to have you on and ask you the question of like, what's changed with you? Because I remember that. And then I now see you like four kids, you're working, like you guys built a house and I'm like, she just expanded in just incredible ways. So, okay, keep going. 
you have to be okay with the growth and the process. Like you cannot compare your day one to someone else's day or year seven. My oldest is seven, seven, five, four, and eight months. So you can't compare your day one, not you, but whoever's listening, your day one to my year seven. Like if you would have seen me when I had my first baby, my words is I was a hot mess. Yeah. Uh, and obviously I wasn't, but um, you grow and you change, but you only grow and evolve and change when you're willing to put yourself out there. You're willing to like be okay with the mess and acknowledge like, okay, we all are struggling. We all, we all have imposter syndrome. We all have doubts. We all have fears. Like, what do I got to do to just show up? What am I going to do today? There's a really good book if you're struggling with time management. It's called it's called The Slight Edge. It's very similar to the book Atomic Habits. Mm. Um, I like The Slight Edge. It's just like so, so good. But it talks about people being on the slight edge curve. And um, you're either on the curve up or you're on the curve down. And they're parallel for so long. So you could be making these changes daily and not feeling like you're going anywhere. And what do most people do? They give up. They're like, I'm not seeing changes. I'm not seeing results. If you were just keep going on that slight edge curve up, small things every day, all of a sudden the slight edge curve up shoots upward, whereas the downward curve shoots downward and then they're completely opposite. Mm -hmm. Your life looks completely different. So if you can get on that slight curve upward and just trust the process, fall in love with the process of becoming, of evolving. And one last thing I know you're probably like, oh my gosh, this is way longer than I thought. No, keep going. Learning or being okay with failing. Growing up, I was always so worried about failing. I did not want to fail. I would quit things before I could fail. I was a dive. I did diving, like three meter diving, one meter. Um, and I quit before I could fail. I was so worried about failing. And so I've seen that throughout my life. And so I heard this quote of a daughter talking about her dad that every week the dad would ask the daughter, what did you, you fail at this week? And she had to tell him something. And he said, if you're not failing, that means you're not out there trying. So being okay with failing, being okay with, you know, trying something new and coming up short, like, if you're doing that, it's showing that you're putting yourself out there. You're trying something new. So whether that's your health journey, whether that's a podcast you want to start, whether that's a business you want to start, whether that's becoming a mom, like you making those like little moves forward without the fear of failing, without the fear of looking silly. Like if you look at all these people that you admire, you know, whether it's on social media or in person and you looked at their day one, they they probably don't even look anything like what they did on day one. So anyways, I could talk for hours. You're probably like, Brooklyn, <laughs> be quiet. No, this is what this is why I had you on the show because I knew you had so much to share. You know, I I have one last question for you that I want you to touch on because I think that so many of the mothers that come through our coaching programs, like especially in the group programs, they are just like overwhelmed with the idea of like how do I make time for myself? And you your point, you're not perfect. None of us are, right? It's not like every day is like, you know, like I nail every single category, but how do you, and what advice would you have for another mother who is struggling to find the balance between, let's say, working, taking the kids to school, finding time to work out, meal prep for their own blood sugars? Like, what would be your your advice? Oh, I feel like I have a lot I can say, but I'll I'll like narrow it down to maybe three things. One is like planning ahead and time managing. I have an app or like just a note section on my phone. I have my husband added to it and I have Monday through Saturday, Monday through Sunday, really. Um, but I have like, what are, okay, 
dropping the boys off at school. John's working. John's going to the gym, working out. Like I have my team call for work, um, what we're having for dinner. So that way on Saturday night, I do my grocery shopping on Instacart. We pick it up on Sunday after church. And so I have my like day plan, my days, my meals planned out. So planning ahead, time blocking, habit stacking, whatever you need to do in the morning. Like when she, we get up, I have my like drink, my hot drink in the morning. This is my second one. So I already had mine. And then when I'm done, like I usually read and drink that while the kids play. And then when she eats breakfast, I unload the dishwasher, going back to the dishwasher. I hate unloading the dishwasher, but I do that when she's eating. It's habit stack. It's become such a routine that it's like she's eating, I'm unloading the dishwasher. And then I accomplish something. And then when she's done, I go upstairs and I get ready. I make my bed. I throw in a little laundry. So it's like I've habit stacked it so much. It's routine now and it's it's just a part of me. And so really getting a system down. And this has taken a long time for me to like figure out what is working for me. And it's probably going to change in the next season when she's a little bit older. But right now, having whatever, whatever season you're in, having a time um, management system or habit stacking, but just planning ahead. Planning ahead. If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. And so – Planning ahead. The second thing is, oh, shoot, what was it? Oh, man, I'm not going to forget. Another thing, though, I'm forgetting the one I was just thinking of, but fueling your body, like morning routine. I already talked about this. I think that that is huge. Like if you are a mom or you are a type 1 diabetic and you're lacking energy, you're lacking motivation for the day, for your life, like what are you eating? What are you consuming? What are you filling your mind with? Um... I think that that, I mean, just to sum it up, like that makes a huge difference. Um, shoot, there was one other thing I wanted to share. Time blocking. Tell me the question one more time. What was the question? How, what advice you would have for moms who feel like, how do they, how do I fit in self-care time for myself when I have busyness running around? What I'm hearing from you is not only. Oh, I, I remembered. I remembered. Okay. Declutter. Like if your house is filled with stuff and just you're unorganized, your mind is going to be cluttered. If you can just get this down, there's books on it. I, I don't, I declutter like a mother. There's a whole bunch of books on it. So if you need help, but maybe every day for the next couple months, you pick one thing, one drawer. Again, talking about being overwhelmed, like so easy to feel overwhelmed. Um, one step at a time, one drawer at a time, one section at a time, one room at a time. Declutter, simplify. When you have, if, if I feel like most people are overwhelmed because there's just so much stuff. There's so much stuff. And this can even go down to your schedule. Maybe you need to, I, I literally am home most of the time. And I feel like I have such a peace, such a sanity, because I just, I feel peaceful. I, I, I just know my body. I know what I need. And I can't be going, going, going 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm a homebody. I like being home. I also like getting out, but um, I just know that most, like I feel, I feel peaceful when I'm like home, but I just feel like simplifying your life. Whether that's your schedule, your your material possessions, um, and then Jesus. Like I can't. I, I'm a big believer, and I don't know how I would get through motherhood, or even type one diabetes. Type one diabetes. My my mindset is like this is our temporary home. We're literally here for a second. We feel like our life is so long and so important. But when you stand out and you realize like no, we're so small in the big scheme of things. And like, this is our temporary home. Like my eyes are on heaven and eternity when we can just eat and not have to put an insulin. And we're just like, you know, our best, <laughs> our best, healthiest self. Um, but I don't know how I would get through motherhood without like just having that reliance on like 
no, I can't do this. I can't do this without the strength that he gives. Um, I am weak. And when I'm weak, it shows his power. I struggled with an eating disorder. I'll end on this unless you have more. Um, but I struggled with an eating disorder in high school and college. And I tried everything to be able to get past that. I think, I think the eating disorder stemmed from just my life revolving around food and just giving me a sense of control. Like diabetes can sometimes feel like so out of control. Like it's just like, oh, like it's a lot. It's a lot mentally. It doesn't, everybody says it's like a mental disease. Like a, a, not, not a mentally like handicapped, but like it's just a, a, a silent struggle. Like no one else sees the, the mental calculations and the decisions that di type 1 diabetics have to make. And so mm -hmm. I, yeah, I lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You were, I knew what you were going to say. You basically were going to say that your connection to faith and we're, your eating disorder, that was what helped you get Oh, eating disorder. Yes. But yeah, so I tried everything to get through that. And I, I started reading my Bible and I read through the whole new Testament. By the time I was done, literally I had no struggle with an eating disorder. Like literally did not even, and I'm telling you, I was so captive and so held down, but I thought I was going to struggle forever. And now having a daughter, I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm so grateful. One that I like, have been through that so that way I could help other people but like at the same time that I don't struggle with it anymore because I can't imagine like you know struggling with that while having kids you know and just n not wanting them to ever have to like be reliant on that to be survived you know um or feeling that out of control and so I, I went on so many tangents I hope that if this was valuable and encouraging no Brooklyn you're you could have ran this show by yourself it should have been a solo episode no I so appreciate everything. Oh, is Oakley up now? Oh, hi, Oakley. Oh my goodness, those eyes. All, all your kids are like identical twins. Like they look, they're like little oh clones. Oh my gosh, she's so cute. <laughs> Everybody's watching the podcast. You'll have to look at the YouTube channel so you can see Oakley, or just go to Brooklyn's Instagram page. But this little munchkin, hi, sweetie. <laughs> oh my, he's like, I'm up, I'm up. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I will let you go. Brooklyn, thank you so much for sharing all this with us, your story and your journey. It's so inspiring. And it's, it's not just what you do that's inspiring, but it's how, how you do it and how you're so proud to share it because it's so, it comes so authentic and I'm just so proud of you and, and grateful to know you. I hope it's encouraging and inspiring. I love you. Thanks for having me. Have the best day. And I can't wait till it's live and we can listen to it and share it with people. Yeah, you're the best, Brooklyn. Bye, Oakley. Thank you so much for being here with me today and listening to this episode of Reclaim Your Rise. To let us know that the episodes we're putting out are impactful and to help us get our street cred up and let everyone else know that this is something worthy of their time to listen to, please leave a rating and review on our Apple Podcasts, send the show to other people impacted by T1D or maybe even your doctor, and share it on social media tagging at Risely Health and at Lauren underscore Bongiorno. New episodes of Reclaim Your Rise come out every single Tuesday, so make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so that you never miss a beat. Thanks again for listening, and as always, remember, diabetes is a challenge that we did not choose, but one that we can rise above.